Hello, and welcome to The Takeaway, where we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse, to help you understand God's Word, so that you can have a more intimate relationship with Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Hello, welcome again to The Takeaway. I'm your host, Pastor Harry Behrens. And in today's episode, we're going to be recapping the entire book of Revelation. This will not be an in-depth study, but more of a quick overview. The takeaway for this episode is that you would have a basic understanding for each chapter presented throughout the book. This will be a great resource for you to be able to label each chapter in your Bible so that when you go back and read it, you will know what to look for and how to understand it. For a more in-depth study, I recommend you go back and listen to each episode that corresponds to the chapter you are reading. Again, this episode is not meant to be anything more than a quick summary for the entire book to help you quickly identify and understand the theme of each chapter. Now, starting in Revelation chapter 1, John introduces us to King Jesus and prepares us to receive the revelation that follows. The takeaway is that it is all about him and his coming kingdom. Throughout the whole book, you will see bits and pieces of the description we get of Jesus here. In chapter 2 and 3, we are introduced to the seven churches. Even though they are, were named individually, these letters and this revelation is actually written to the church as a whole. To each one of the churches, Jesus identifies himself in a way that relates to their current situation. Second, he identifies their good works. Third, he identifies their bad works and tells them to repent of them. Fourth, he tells them what their judgment will be if they don't repent. And fifth, he reminds them what the reward will be if they endure till the end. Even though these are seven different churches, we should read all these letters as if they are written to us today, as the truths revealed to them still apply to us. When you read chapters 2 and 3, put yourself in their shoes as if these words are for you. Then evaluate your life and see where you stand in comparison to Jesus' words. Now chapter 4 opens up with John being caught up into heaven and experiencing heavenly worship. The thing that is driving the worship is Jesus. He is the one found worthy to open the scroll and the only one to put an end to sin and make all things new. Heaven is rejoicing as Jesus prepares to do just that. Throughout the rest of Revelation, it's important to note that the things happening on earth are a direct result of the things taking place in heaven. Most of this book is heavenly perspective and not earthly events. It's important to understand this from this point forward, or you will be lost through most of what you read. In chapter 5, you will see Jesus take the scroll, which we believe to be the title deed of the earth, as he is the rightful owner and ruler. Jesus alone is the only one authorized to cast judgment on this world, as he is the one that took the wrath of God on himself at the cross. In chapter 6, Jesus begins opening the scroll to reveal the plagues and judgments that are to come upon the unbelieving world. The events here are what will happen on the earth during these judgments. God will start off this period of time by removing his spirit and letting man have their way up to the point of almost destroying themselves. At that point, he will step back in and bring his wrath upon them. Then in chapter 7, we enter into a parenthesis or a pause. John uses this chapter to describe some things that happen at the beginning and through the tribulation. This is not a continuation of events, but of things that happened during the plagues that started in chapter 6. The 144,000 are marked by God, and they will evangelize the earth for the seven-year tribulation. 
During that time, many will come to Christ and be killed, and that's who we see entering into heaven in this chapter. The chapters 8 verses 1 through 6 opens up to silence in heaven as an indicator for what God is about to do. There is clearly no words for what is about to take place as God prepares to pour out his wrath on this world. Now, as a quick reminder, before we are introduced to each judgment, John gives a description of what is happening in heaven to prepare for what is to come. Then he moves back to the earth to reveal the events that are poured out. And afterwards, he goes back to the heavenly perspective to close. Here in these first six verses, we see just that as the prayers of the saints are answered and used as a witness for the judgment to come. Then starting at verse 7 in chapter 8 through chapter 9, God's wrath is unleashed through the trumpet judgments. Here again, we are back on earth, seeing the results of these heavenly trumpets being blown. Now chapter 10 opens up to a mighty angel coming down from heaven to proclaim that there should be no more delay. He proclaims that with the final trumpet, the mystery of God would be finished. This will bring in the full wrath of God and reveal the kingdom that Jesus is coming to set up. Again, this, is, this chapter is of a heavenly vision and not an earthly event. It's important to note that the trumpet judgments begin the second half of the tribulation. Then chapters 11 through 14, we are given more descriptions of the things that take place during this period of time. These are not events that happen next, but events that happen during. Chapter 11 we are given a description of two witnesses that will show up at the midpoint of the tribulation and will be spiritually protected by God until the testimony is completed towards the end of the tribulation. Whenever you read about a 42-month or 1,260-day time period in Revelation, it always points to the second half of the tribulation. This makes it easier to read along, understanding at what point these things take place. The trumpet judgments are the order of events. And now John is going back and describing things that happened during that period of time. At the end of this chapter, we will see the seventh trumpet blow, which will usher in the bold judgments and the beginning of our Lord's kingdom. In chapter 12, we will see Satan cast out of heaven at the midpoint of the tribulation. This will set him off on a tangent to go and destroy God's people. The symbolism of the woman at the beginning of this chapter points to the nation of Israel and the 12 tribes. Satan hates them and desires to destroy them because God has set them aside as a special people throughout history to glorify himself. In chapter 13, the Antichrist is given permission to continue on. But from this point forward, his objective is to destroy and make war. The second half of this chapter introduces us to the false prophet, who will lead many astray to follow after the beast, which is the Antichrist. Then in chapter 14, we move back to a heavenly perspective, where we see that Jesus is the one that gathers the wicked for judgment. This is the first of three final judgment perspectives that John will give us. This perspective here is to remind us that Jesus is in control and that he is the one reaping the harvest. The wicked of this world will think they are coming to battle, but in reality, they are just doing what the Lord himself wants. The chapter 15 opens up to the preparation of the bold judgments in heaven. These judgments represent the full wrath of God that will complete his judgment on the wicked as we see that they come directly out of the temple of the tabernacle of God. These will not be a partial judgment as the others were. In chapter 16, we see them poured out on the earth and the results of the full wrath of God in them. At the end of this chapter, we get the second perspective of Jesus conquering and the events that take place on the earth as a result of the seventh and final bowl that's poured out during the battle of Armageddon. Chapter 17 is again looking back into the tribulation to show us that all false religions will be destroyed throughout 
the judgments God brings on this world. Chapter 18 as well shows us that the wicked commercial system in this world will also be destroyed during the tribulation. The fact that it's called Babylon the Great is not to say that this is literally Babylon as in the Old Testament, but a system that is derived from it. In both chapters 17 and 18, we see two systems that have derived from the same Babel that we read about in Genesis, when God had stepped in and destroyed the tower to confuse their language. All the false religions and wicked commercial systems of the world, in one form or another, derive from this place. Again, chapters 17 and 18 are looking back to things that were completed during God's judgment. They are not looking forward to something that happens afterwards. These systems will be utterly destroyed during the seven-year tribulation. And chapter 19 opens up to the wedding feast in heaven, where all believers will be gathered together with Christ. After that, we will get our third perspective of our Lord's return, and in my opinion, is the best one. This is the one we have him returning with his bride, the church. As you read through these perspectives, we are given a fuller picture of exactly what's going on here. Jesus is the one initiating this final battle, chapter 14, then shows us how they are destroyed, chapter 16, and does it all with us by his side in chapter 19. Now chapter 20 then begins with Satan getting locked up and Jesus beginning his 1,000 year reign on earth with his bride. We will rule and reign during this time as priests to share the gospel with all those who will be born during this age. Sin will still be present and those born will still need to accept Jesus as their savior. Our job during this time will be to proclaim the gospel and teach people about Jesus, similar to what we should be doing today. Then in chapter 21, we finally get to see the new heaven and earth, where we will be with God forever, completely separated from sin and the influence of it. No more will people be having children. This will be every single person that has ever accepted Jesus, living for eternity in perfect fellowship with him. And in chapter 22, John recaps some of the main points he wants us to take away from the entirety of the book. Everything mentioned in this chapter is to bring what we have learned into perspective. You could say that this chapter focuses on the takeaway of the revelation so that we don't go down the wrong path. At the end of the day, the most important thing we could ever get from studying Revelation or any portion of the Bible is that it focuses our eyes on Jesus. We should not be worried about trying to figure out who someone is, where events take place, or when they will happen. All of this revelation is given to us so that we would know when our Lord is returning and that we have an internal place by his side. Again, chapter 22 wraps it all up for us. The plagues of this book are only for those who reject Jesus and his words. The promise we should be holding on to is that the blessings are found in accepting Jesus and believing the words of this book. When we keep it this simple, we will always be on the straight and narrow path. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 2 to 14. Grace to you, and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, 
to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for helping us work through the revelation of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. This has been an amazing journey that I hope produces life in those who stumble upon it. I ask, Father, that you will allow all that we have learned from this revelation to change us and impact our lives in such a way as to bring glory to you and your Son, Jesus. Please awake in our hearts that what you have placed in us to produce life and godliness, that we may be a joy unto you and an effective ambassador for your kingdom. Father, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank you for following the Takeaway.Faith through our journey in Revelation. This has been one of the greatest blessings of my life to teach through this book, and I hope it's been one of the greatest for you to hear. From beginning to end, my sole focus was to point our listeners to Jesus and a more intimate relationship with Him. I did the very best that I could to ensure that I stayed true to the scriptures and the accuracy of the descriptions given to us. As I am not a perfect man, it is very possible that some will find mistakes or just plain disagree with me in the descriptions of events, symbols, or timelines. As a reminder, my objective was never to claim that I know exactly how things will play out in the future. It was to take scripture as literally as possible, accept where it says it isn't, and just believe it without reinterpreting it. My main focus in all of this was to teach our listeners how to find Jesus in what seems like the most complex and confusing scriptures we have. If I was able to do that for you, then the series through this book was a success. My job was and always will be to point people to Jesus. Philippians chapter 1, 15 to 18. Some indeed preach Christ, even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. God bless, and we'll see you next time on The Takeaway. Been walking for a while My feet are getting tired My heart's a little heavy But you keep me going Been walking for a while Mile after mile My soul's a little but you keep me going You keep me